I said, empty your mind. Be formless, shapeless, like water. It's about how hard you hit. It's about how hard you can get hit and keep moving forward. How much you can take and keep moving forward. Join movement expert Aaron Alexander as he dives into the minds of the foremost innovative healthcare thinkers and movement masters on their approach to optimal health and wellness. Align Podcast. Welcome back to the podcast. My name is Aaron Alexander. I am all sorts of excited about today's conversation with Miss Katie Bowman. Katie's been someone that has been an inspiration to me over the years. Um, she is authored some of my favorite books, one specifically, Move Your DNA. I highly recommend people checking that out. Um, also, Movement Matters. I got a whole list of them here in front of me. Alignment Matters, Whole Body Barefoot. Um, she's one of the most prolific thinkers, thought leaders in the world of movement and why the heck it matters in the first place. So this conversation is, uh, we go kind of deep dive into little nooks and crannies of how you're moving around your body throughout the day. I uh, hope you guys devour this conversation and uh, check her out. Check her books out. She's she's awesome. Um, thank you guys so much for visiting the website, alignpodcast.com, A-L-I-G-N podcast.com. Oh, and there you can start the five-day movement challenge, which breaks down some fundamentals of what you need to know to integrate better movement function into your day-to-day life. Um, things like how to drive in your car or sit in your car more effectively, how to sit on the floor, how to work in an office, um, things like that. I think you guys really appreciate that. Um, thanks so much for leaving reviews on iTunes. Thanks for doing you. And uh, thanks to Cure Nutrition for supporting this podcast. I got some of their stuff here. I got to move my, my things out of the way. Here it is. Um, they are a really rad CBD company. And they do kind of more like creative approaches at ingesting CBD, which I think is great. I'm holding their blackening season here with 100 milligrams of CBD per serving. Um, roasted garlic, lemon pepper. I use the heck out of this stuff. I put it in my in my salads and whatever. I've been devouring sourdough bread and I like olive oil, this stuff, and some avocado. It's my jam. Um, They got a lot of other stuff. They have great oils. Uh, It's reasonably priced. You can go to curednutrition.com and then use a line code for 10% off. That's it. I hope you guys love that stuff. Uh, final thanks to the folks that have grabbed the Align Method Online program. We got that program out. Um, so you can find that. It's on the, the link in the, the Instagram, Align Podcast page. Uh, it's also at alignpodcast.com. You can find that thing. breaks down all sorts of good stuff. you learn more about it on the, uh, on the website. Um, here we go. Back to the shizzy with Miss Katie Bowman. Uh, I'm going to be gone for the next month. I'm headed to Costa Rica, do yoga teacher training. Super psyched. Um, so I'll be kind of sort of off the grid ish. Not really. I'll still be probably obsessing on my cell phone. Um, but anyways, that's happening. I'll be posting some stuff, some, some pretty pictures of the jungle and stuff like that. So tune in for that. If you give a darn, enjoy this conversation. Enjoy your day. Thanks for tuning in. Thanks for telling your friends. Here we go. Align podcast. How does seasons change for you? What, what does that, how does that affect life for you? Other than it's just, just cold as heck outside. Oh, I mean, I think that as far as if we're going to talk about natural biorhythms, I think seasons are a big part of natural cueing. I mean, light changes and the fact that like triggering uh, different sleeping patterns that are season friendly and uh, you learn how to read the signs of what other animals and plants are doing and how they're dealing with uh, the changing situation. And you just, I don't know, I just find... um, seasons 
unpack a lot of environmental information that is applicable to me, you know, trying to figure out how, like, you know, we talk about movement, because obviously we do, like, we're, you know, we're, the fact that movement is seasonal, that there that there's a difference into movement patterns seasonally for many living things, you, you can observe it directly when you've got such extremes, you know, I, I mean, as, as a Californian, and also as a, Cal- a farmer in California, which is my family was farming, when you're a farmer, you're tuned into seasons as well, right? So it's not just wilderness. It's uh, you just see that there's growth cycles and there's death and there's rebirth and um, there's this idea of being dormant as a perfectly acceptable phase and withering as a perfectly acceptable phase. And then you see when babies come along, like it's just all very informative about natural movement in the largest sense yeah i get like guilt from sleeping in and from any anything that's like the death or withering or away or anything that's not like mm. perky coffee stimulation it's right a, right sure <laughs> yeah well so i mean so i think that you know nature gives you permission maybe right. you're like oh it's it's perfectly normal because there's less light to sleep longer i was just thinking about this today going <laughs> you know like i have a i i have a i teach a class at eight o'clock in the morning, which I'm so far north. I'm on the Olympic Peninsula of Washington State. So, you know, about as far as you can get in the United States north without being in Alaska. And um, so so just to mean that we don't get very much light. We're at our almost our lowest light. And so the sun is barely up at 745, 8 a.m. in the morning, and it's back down by 415, 430 p.m. And it's so funny how in uh, mod, mod Modern time, modernity, modernity. I can't remember what that word is. Anyway, modernity. Um, modernity. Thank you. Modernity. Yeah. <laughs> In modernity, your class is at eight a.m. Period. It doesn't matter if the sun's up. It doesn't matter. Like so, like our bio, our rhythms are not biorhythms per se. They're more like society rhythms or work rhythms. Yeah. And so the nice thing though about teaching classes is. I have the flexibility where I can make my class schedule seasonal if I wanted to. You know what I mean? Like I could actually change. I, I live in a predom- like predominantly retirement community. And so I, starting in this deep throes of winter that are coming up, 10 a.m. If I want a lot of people to come to class, it's got to be after 10 a.m. Because if you don't have a work schedule yeah. that forces you up and out, you are going to rise with the sun you know or feel like going out and doing something with the sun you might be you might be awake and in the cocoon of your bed for a while or in the cocoon of your house so it's yeah it's kind of fun just to watch so that's what seasons do for me they just inform me tremendously well i i mentioned to you i think about i'm doing a book and that was part of like one to feature parts from your stuff in there and one of the things that i was i was looking into with that is how in our homes, everything is cornery, you know, and in nature, things are more circular. And it, with like paths, even, if you're to wander in a natural environment, you'll kind of meander and go through these different, you know, meandering patterns. It's called le- levy f- flight patterning, is like a fancy word for us kind of like meandering around. But mm-hmm. our lives are all just these hard, sharp angles and stop signs. Do you ever think of like how that affects you psychologically, emotionally, beyond just movement? 
Well, I, I guess I don't really, I don't reduce movement to not consider the psychological or even right. the spiritual at this point. I think at, at this point, the perspective that I hold for movement is pretty ecological. And I'm thinking about all the different levels um, that, all the different systems that we you know we've parsed, kind of reintegrating them back in. But I do, you know, I design um, public spaces and I design cool. buildings is an element of my work that has become more high demand in the last few years. And it's interesting working with architects, you know, so like I have, I'm designing a natural movement park, for example, in Washington, and I'm not building it. I don't have that skill. So, but I'm like, here are the features. Here's the 12 features that it should have, or the, we want people to be able to move this way in particular. So, um, I kind of describe, you know, there should be like, for example, there should be a hill somewhere. Like it all can't be flat. It all can't be smooth. Like there's got to be different textures. Like these are elements that I've put in. And then I um, will go walk through this space with the uh, architects and, or the landscape, yeah, landscape architects and designers and, and the people who will eventually build the features that in my mind I could just come up with indefinitely. Um, and they their training their training as architects is to make the movement through a space as simple as possible, hence the straight line, yeah. hence the smoothness. Like, so the infrastructure of our social structure, like the physical infrastructure of our social structure has become simple movement is in, and that's why you know the shortest line between two spaces is the straight line and so they're trying to if you're trying to get from point a to point b they're going to carve the path that moves you the least so they will even take out hills because hills are too strenuous so they, they will find they'll look at the the uh, contours of the landscape and plot the flat the flattest shortest um smoothest line and so like what i was asking them to do was to go against all the principles of architecture and so like i hadn't thought of one of the principles being ease ease of movement but i'm like that's built into our buildings that's it's actually like built in and then and then psychologically you begin to perceive like they were perceiving yeah, I had a weaving trail. You can talk about meandering. Um, you know, I had a trail, like we had a row of straight trees and we they have to have a path because of the requirements of what they're doing. So the path was woven between the trees. And they're like, this is crazy that we're just like adding all this distance for someone to walk. Like, why would they walk all this extra distance? Like, why am I because and why are we leaving branches that they would have to move underneath? And it was like the over under in and out trail. It's like because if you don't do that, then you have to go do a bunch of like bend your knee and hip exercises just in your house. So like to me, you're like more psychologically able to see what's required of you to move through a space. And so now just we have a whole understanding of movement that I think is informed by our structures. That is movement is wrong. More movement is wrong. Complex movement is dangerous or, or, um, uh, not necessary, frivolous. I mean, I don't know exactly what the word is or what the assumption is, but I knew that psychologically they just felt like this extra movement was not supposed to be built into how humans are moving through spaces. 
Mm. Yeah. Which I, I, as someone, you know, and we're in the movement. We are in a small percentage of people who can not only consider movement, but who do movement, who prioritize movement, who's like movement is the filter for which they see things. And so I am familiar with the problem that many people face, which is how to get more movement. Architects, that's not their worldview. Yeah. And their worldview is safe spaces and structures and and they're, you know, maybe they exercise because they have a, a peripheral understanding of like, I have to move for my health. But really seeing where um, the shapes of buildings are part of the environment of we animals, you know, that are living in that space. And I mean, just I could talk a lot about building design because I because like I said, I'm doing it now. But even in um, Ontario, Canada, there's a big fire up in the First Nations, Ontario First Nations, I think it was. And they lost a lot of the structures that were put in um, to those spaces um, by the colonizers of those areas and they look like you know our houses squares corners and when they went to rebuild they said our culture actually prioritizes round walls um you know so like it's not necessarily a human phenomenon it's a human phenomenon that thinks a particular way thinks about land management time management in a particular way that ends up with these shapes because there are other humans that prioritize larger circular um, indoor outdoor spaces so that when they went to rebuild they actually were thinking of the shape of a building as the shape is influencing how our culture is allowed to express itself in this building and so they just um they just went round Mm. you know like like it's it's something that you can do but i think that you know when you're building a house in a neighborhood you're probably have some pressure to fit in with the joneses in the sense of the corners of your house like putting a round house or a dome house in a regular neighborhood there's a lot of building h you know like a homeowner's requirements of what you're even allowed to do you're not really allowed to stand out physically right. um, in terms of structure which is an interesting phenomenon as in term have you ever heard so along the same lines of like efficiency um I've read, I don't remember what the term is, but it's actually more mentally exhausting. There's more of a mental load when you look at a square because you'll look at each individual point from that. Whereas if you look at a circle, you kind of just take in the whole image. And Hmm. another thing along with that, I mean, this could be wacky, but this is just some some stuff that I've been reading about. Um, Another thing with that is in nature, if we see something that's a sharp angle like that, for the most part, evolutionarily, we've perceived that as some type of like danger or weapon or something that could attack. And so now we're inundated with that around the house. We have all these sharp objects all around us, but our like mammalian brain potentially may perceive that stuff as being a little bit more like almost like exhausting to be around. You ever thought about that? Does that sound crazy? It might be crazy. I'm fine with it um, being crazy. It might be crazy. Well, <laughs> I, it just makes me think of, like, I, so when I hear stuff like that, then I just try to go, I, I try to build a counter model. So I'm, like, thinking of, like, what are the sharp things in nature? Quills, mm. teeth. Mm-hmm. Um, we were just looking at um, microscope. My son and I, this morning, were looking at microscope um pictures of snowflakes and those are a lot of a- sharp angles in in many of the shapes so and, and i'm trying to think like are there like what is what is considered a sharp angle um i think of like yeah, thorns and swords and stuff like that but yeah, yeah most mean, things at like sure. a microscopic yeah. level would probably get sharp at some point i guess yeah, they do. They do at a. Sh- I mean, like they found gears, you know, in different animals. Like they have definitely found. It just depends on the size at which you're looking at. But yeah, I guess in general, it is. It's 
pokey things. It's pokey you know, it's things, it's yeah. pokey things. <laughs> yeah, it, it might you, you definitely might be um you might have evolved to have this um natural draw towards cataloging sharp pokey things yeah. and i don't know if corners in your house like i don't know if you could train yourself out of like well that corner of my house is pretty benign but then i think of like little kids <laughs> and counter like little kids and coffee tables like that's a big thing the <laughs> to pat them you just have, like i don't know yeah no that's a it is both interesting at the same time like i don't like how everything is yeah it's doing it um so how do we start to um change shift our, our our homes to be a little bit more movement rich well, well what have i done to my home i mean you guys i talk about that so much um i got rid of a lot of the seats yeah. you know the so I, we're kind of it's a floor sitting home so there's there's a place for people um who don't have you know very limited mobility can sit and still be comfortable but there's no there's no chairs in our house. Like we have a bed, a cushion bench seat, but we have chairs and balls. And I, I was just watching my son read and he was draped over like an exercise ball. And he was just walking back and forth on it while he, while his face was still in front of his book, the rest of his body was still moving. And I do think that that's a product of uh, cr- creating an environment that doesn't have so many just flat level, non-moving pieces. Like I, I think of too, a chair is not only some place to be still as a whole body or to maybe induce a repetitive geometry, that same position over and over again. But they also don't move. Like, you know, if you have a rocking chair, I guess you could get it to move a little bit. Um, but like he wanted to keep moving. Like it was his instinct to keep to keep his body going, even though he was doing what I would consider. Um, I, we need a term for it, right? Like if we're on our computers at a otherwise dynamic desk. You know, if you've got stuff under your feet or you're walking, is that still, like the whole body isn't still. So I just, I've been trying to come up with a term for the fact that I can have my eyes on a computer screen or a book, but other parts of me still be dynamic. You know, and I don't don't know what that term is yet, but I think we've kind of associated where if I'm gonna be writing or even recording this podcast, like I have to have my mouth a certain distance from the microphone and my eyes or my arms a certain distance from a keyboard. But it doesn't mean that I'm not working my feet and my knees while I'm doing it. So what is that called when you're still productive and proximal? Like I'm in place, but I'm not still while I'm there. So so um, a lot of the features of our house allow you to be in place, but not still. So um, we have, you know, instead of sitting down at a dining room table and eating our meal or working on homework or arts and crafts or cooking or whatever, we can be still at a table, but there are no chairs underneath us. So we're free to move our bodies in the way that we're, is kind of reflexively coming up while still getting the task done that's in front of our faces and our hands. So yeah. my house has a lot of that. Um, I have a river rock foyer. I saw you know, that. So I was so excited when I saw the YouTube video. <laughs> And, and we fall on it all the time. Like, like you, you kind of step into it and it rolls under feet. It's like when you go down to a riverbed. So we've got that in there. Um, there's monkey bars that we move around. Um, I've been thinking about, uh, I don't know if anyone can hear me in my own house, but I have some, it was close to Christmas. So I always try to buy dynamic um, 
gifts, you know, to gifts that keep us like moving. And so, and there's a lot of space. We sleep on the floor. So you can read, I've written an article, a couple of articles on pressure related movements. So we uh, are floor sleepers, not only because you have to work your body tremendously to get up and down instead of like just dropping, you know, 36 inches to the cushion and then standing up 36 inches from the cushion, which is essentially, that's our biggest movement habit is just dropping our knees and hips a little bit to easily set our hips down to then come up from that point. Like we don't really ever explore below the height of our knees with our hips. And so when you sleep on the floor, you definitely, or, or when you sit on the floor, um, definitely people get that when they go to exercise class, but I don't think it's really built into their home structures is to utilize those other ankle, knee, and hip ranges of motion, and of course your spine and your back, etc. Um, you don't really explore that in daily living. It's really pulled out and parsed for therapy or exercise. Um, so that ability to get up and down is big while we floor sleep. It's also the firmness of the floor. You know, rolling and body pressure therapies have been really big, but. I think those are just stand-ins for the fact that we don't interact with our body on the floor. So we're having to like kind of vacuum and, and add pressure to all of the movement of our cells. They're not in musculoskeletal motion, but they're, they're movements, they're pressure. They, they cause a cellular change when you load. And people are so, because they sit on cushions and rarely have any other pressure sensation in their body, everything's kind of covered in marshmallow fluff you know it's like all very fluffy cushiony um then when they feel it they're like oh it hurts when you push here it's like yeah because that part of your body would have been pushed on multiple times a day by something hard and possibly thorny and you when you interact with that you you in the same way that you build your muscles in response to an exercise you build all your cells and adapt to these pressures so we sleep on the floor for that reason and then um we live in a wet area and so by the time you put roll out your bed rolls if you have that heat all night and then you pick it back up you can get mold so i i set my bed roll up for four and then roll it up every day and it's a tremendous amount of work because right. we have sheepskin and and i just did a, a video so people could see you know what adding and dismantling a bed looks like physically i mean just imagine shaking out sheets with your arms and big shoulder mo everything again that you go to class to just do you know reaching your arms out and reaching behind you by the time you pick up you know 30 pounds of bedroll and you do it as a it's almost like a ritual like you get out of bed and you spend these three or four it's not it's not a huge uh, burden to the time of your day it's like a morning stretch routine and then before you go to bed I've actually done the same thing I've done this like I don't need an exercise routine to before I go to bed my bed is the movement routine that kind of transitions me to a different time um, so so just a lot of elements just a lot of elements like that and the nice thing about um, floor sleeping that I try to explain especially for people, if you're like me, who live in a small house, when you don't have a lot of furniture and you, or like we can, we can roll our bed out and then pick it up. Now we have an empty room the rest of the day and that's an empty room where there's always tum cartwheels and handstands and all this big dynamic motion without worrying about the sharp corners of different things or falling or breaking anything. It's just a nice open space still within our home. Um, that is really uh, facilitating movement, my own movement. And then I think more importantly, 
uh, for structure wise for the movement of the little people that are still building their skeleton and their muscles that will last them the rest of their life. I mean, to me, under the age of 10 is probably the most important window of movement. I would say the first year is the most important window and then the first three years and then the first five years, the first eight years and the first 10 years. Like those are all really important windows where you're you're kind of setting up your movement bank account. Mm. And so I, I like the space. Um, I like the fact that that we don't have furniture signaling to stay out of the way of this kind of like monolith that's just sitting here. It's like, no, this wall is free for you to invert yourself on or leap off of something else, you know, to hear like we really encourage a lot of movement. So the furniture free is not just about the knees and the hips. It's about space. Yeah. It's about space and um letting you explore physically when the whim comes up naturally. Yeah. Do you know uh, Joan Vernicos? You familiar with her? Mm-hmm. She does do, like yeah. uh, why, what's it called? Sitting, why we need to sit, it's sitting kills, kills, whatever, yeah. Sitting <clears throat> kills, movement or something. Yeah, movement kills. And she did another one after that. One of the big things that she gets into with that is so she's studying like astronauts and the effects of zero gravity mm-hmm. and all that. Um, and she essentially compares being out of gravity to being like like rapid aging, like all the similar mm-hmm. similar signs start happening. Sure. And one of the big things that she knows with that is that people, the astronauts that continually move and continually exercise in small bits throughout the day do dramatically better than people that like front load or back load like we do. So we sure. go to like a gym blowout when we sit the whole day. So you're just – it's like – neat non-exercise activity thermo you know thermogenesis yeah that's kind of what you're describing is like integrating that throughout the day from what she says it's that it's like anti-aging in a way which anti-aging is a silly word but yeah well she wrote so she blurbed um for um move your dna oh cool joan did because there's not a lot of books that make biomechanics accessible you know she knows biomechanics at a pretty pretty robust level and a lot of what you're just talking about is in move your DNA as well. It's it's the idea that it's kind of gravity is a hard thing to under to like figure out. But you know, you standing for those people who like have some mathematics training, your weight is your weight. But weight is a sensation that each cell experiences. So you're you have more weight when you're standing than when you're lying down or the weight is put on different places. So like non standing is weight bearing, but lying down would not be weight bearing, even though your weight has not changed your theoretical weight, the math formula for it. But I'm no longer putting any weight on my hip joints per se. So I could be lying down all the time and be like, and NASA does a lot of um, exercise experiments. They can't, they experiment surely on astronauts when they go up and are in a, um, hypogravity scenario but the bulk of the research especially on exercise therapy is done on people who will volunteer to be bedridden for like three months right for for like to the tune of 60 to seventy thousand dollars because you don't get to you you maybe do like they're trying to see like is it one rep max that can help save bone density and beef up all these other systems that kind of deteriorate in hypogravity and yes we the exercise model right now that most people subscribe to is an idea of a sedentarism 
sandwich with like a thin slice of movement ham in between and like that's what we do it's like there's this tiny sliver of movement and it's just all sedentary all the years packed around this one thing and there's just so much the evidence the research is always set up as person who does that thin ham versus no one but when you expand it and start looking at people whose lives are more like I don't know why I'm going with ham and I don't know how I got to the ham sandwich, but like lots of different thin layers. Like they don't have to be big giant bulks. You don't need like a pastrami on thin bread because, you know, if you look at Hadza, like modern, modern hunter gatherers who have really low disease markers or even other people like from blue zone research, like people who are just modern people who walk throughout the day, who have to do a lot of not even physical laborers, but you know, like here in the United States, like we hang dry our laundry <clears throat> because it's so much better for saving, you know, electricity. The rest of the world does this. Like the United States, maybe other parts of North America are the only places that just throw it in a dryer while the sun's shining. Um, and then to the go move their arms and shoulders around overhead, you know. So, um, <laughs> and I, I say it like that just to kind of make the ridiculousness of it hyperbole just to show the contrast of going like we're we're trying to get the movement but the movement is built in in these small little doses and the idea of like hanging up your laundry is not i would not put that under intense labor like there are people who labor very hard hanging up your laundry i would not put that in a category as labor i would just say it's just a very light short-term mild activity that would be part of this breaking out of the sedentarism of your shoulders and your hips. It's like if I put side by side you pulling your laundry out of a washing machine and I was like, okay, we're gonna do a spinal twist to 30 degrees and then you're gonna reach your arms forward. I think in terms of geometry as a biomechanist, so I break everything down into the degrees of movement and the weights that you're carrying as you move through those. Like that's just, that's how I would quantify movement versus taking that laundry, maybe carrying it out, and you, you could say how many steps were done for this load of laundry, how many arm reaches at which angles, what was the weight as you're carrying it and bringing it down and bringing it back in, and you could be like, wow, hanging up that load of laundry got me 70 more steps and this many reps, like if you wanna normalize everything to an exercise vocabulary that you're used to seeing, yeah. you can distribute movement throughout the day just by making some of your everyday tasks have a little bit more movement into them. Um, it's, re it's really that simple to get more of those ham slices like on your sandwich, to have your sandwich have less bread and more, and more protein, I guess. Right. Um, so yeah, it's just that. It's, it's, it's really talking about movement. Exercise is not movement. I mean, exercise fits into the category of movement, but those terms are not interchangeable. They don't mean the same thing. They're not equivalent terms. You can't replace the word movement with exercise because they're not defined to be the same thing. And we're at that place right now because we're just at the dawn of looking at the sedentary culture that we've become and then trying to find exercise as a solution. So the definitions are very loose right now. The understanding on a practical level is pretty loose. But I think more and more, I mean, even um, the guidelines the AMA guidelines for movement just changed to be like, it doesn't have to be this big hunk. You know, you actually want to distribute it. You want to distribute your movement throughout the day for certain things. Now, if you're training, 
for something that requires, I mean, if you need two hours of endurance at a certain level, then you have to push it together to also be able to train for that as well. But in terms of just moving more for general health, for um, overall well-being and feeling better, it does not have to be, you know, compressed into a short time. It's better to to be breaking up your sedentarism throughout the day. Mm. Have you heard that... Um I think treadmills came from, I think it was in England and it was like in used in prisons and it was prisoners were running on the treadmills to, to create energy. Mm-hmm. You ever heard that before? No, I, as I understand it, treadmills, I mean, at least in, I don't know about England, but <laughs> as I understand it, treadmills in North America, I think they were, they were invented in the United States as a way of uh, rehabilitation for stroke patients. Mm. They were to allow people who needed to move but who couldn't ambulate well um, and thus like move over distance to be able to get that movement therapy that they needed without another person walking alongside them. That's where I understand that they come from, but I haven't I'll heard have, about the I'll prison. Have, I'll have to Google it again because I'm like, it's at first it sounds like, that's terrible. I'm like, no, that sounds good. That sounds legit. That sounds like a, like a, a legit usage for a treadmill as opposed to what we're doing where we're just we have all these, it's, you know, just what you're saying. We have all these options to integrate like fitness into our day to day, but we just avoid it. And then we, we kind of front load it into, you know, at the end of the day, it's just, it seems just like a lot of wasted energy. It's like inefficient. Well, I think, yeah. And I think that um, it just, one of the issues is how everyone's defining efficiency, like efficiency, efficient, you know, uh, the corners of a home is, is often efficient design. You know, like we are we are a group of people in this culture probably listening that are, um, you know, we are, we're coming from an industrial mindset of efficiency. Like that is our, those are our recent influences. And so like when it comes to bu- building, like building materials and space, like that's why we have things like squares as they fit neatly together. You can, they're more efficient. But in the larger scope of things, if you need to, if you need to move more, I, and I guess that's how I was explaining it to the architects. Architects have a big math and physics background, so they can understand where, to them, it's more efficient to make it flat and level because then you, walking it, don't have to expend wasted energy to get from point A to point B. Where it's inefficient is if you don't bend your knees and work your heart and lungs and calves and all these muscle levers in these complex ways, they kind of break down. And now you have to do exercises on top of that walk from point A to point B, where if you chose a more complex way, it would be more efficient because you would get all of those things you needed physically with getting to point B. But because they've separated, now we have it's ironic that in our pursuit of efficiency in one limited perspective, we've become completely inefficient. Yeah, exactly. We are, we are, we are now so parsed and doing everything um, instead of um, integrated because it's non-integrated because we're like trying to eat, like you're trying to take vitamin A and vitamin B and like you're trying to take all your vitamins in separate pill boxes and you have to drive them around because you have no idea of the meal that gets you all of them. Right. Not only all of them, but better absorption and not 12 things of plastic and not stores that sell the plastic things. Like, I mean, the sense of efficiency is really on a very large scale, which is the structures put in place to get the things that we've we've discovered that we needed while at the same time still getting rid of them from our lives. 
Mm. in in kind of the the natural organic container of it all can you get into a little bit of the value of um squatting like going past the 90 degrees of a chair and why, why that matters in the first place that'd be okay. well yeah i mean if you just think of the the ranges of motion that you use are the ranges of motion that you get to use in the future so it's just that simple i mean it'd be like if you never put your arms over your head, if you stop, if you raise your arms out to the side and never put them over your head, what would happen over time is your tissue would adapt where you could not go over your head anymore, which is where we are all, many of us are at with some sort of movement. And then you go to a class and like, hey, try this movement. And that movement has not been part of your movement vernacular for your entire life. And then all of a sudden, now it's challenging because you don't have the parts to be able to do that and then you struggle in class and then you're like well i'm going to add this to my vernacular and you try it in a small bolstered way and then it gets bigger and bigger until you have that but you have it because you did it and you did it slowly until you got it back so a full range a squat like a low squat is just the full use of your ankles knees and hips for that particular movement so when you don't do that movement then the state of the tissues that that movement gives you, that tissue state supports other functions in your body besides just that movement. I guess that's the that's the efficiency. Um, in Move Your DNA, I use the ORCA to explain it, which is um, swimming in a particular way for an ORCA. So like in ORCAs in captivity will have a folded fin. If you if you go if you Google like f- folded fin syndrome floppy floppy fin syndrome for orcas you can see that they're kind of folded over at the top and so when they're growing as their um, dorsal fin there's on the back is growing it's growing in an environment where they're swimming you know very fast and sprints and long distances like long distances fast um, and when you move through the water really quickly the water then pushes equally on the right and left side of your fin. It's like it, it's like a scaffolding. The force of water when you're moving through it in a particular way is a scaffolding which supports the fin through its growth spurt as you go from a juvenile to a grown-up. But you can't swim that way in a tank. You can only swim in circles. And so because you can only swim in circles, the forces that are created by moving in a particular way aren't there on the fin and the fin collapses the fin is pushed by the forces created by swimming in a circle only in one direction your whole entire life and so the the muscle tensions that we have in our body are part of what keep us erect and upright but the but what keeps kind of the scaffolding on an upright body is the fact that all the tensions are kind of tense equally all being pulled out I, another analogy i'll use is like um a circus tent like the pt barnum circus tent when they are when they put it up you know it's got a pole in the middle but then it's got wires that are coming out 360 degrees that are anchored to the ground they're not part of the tent itself but there's these guide wires coming all the way out and because they're tents in a 360 degree circle that's what keeps the tent erect that's what keeps the center pole straight up and it's what keeps tension along the sides and if you were to clip two or three of those ropes that are pulling outward 
the sh- the tent is going to change shape, right? Does that make sense to you when I'm explaining? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So the resting tension of your muscles, when they're all kind of pulling outward and connecting to other parts, you've got this kind of tension all of the time. But you have to use all of your movements to get this tension to hold you upright. Like if you only do, if you're sitting in a chair all the time, then your wires, your 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 tent is collapsing in the direction of the tension okay. that is through the motions that you're doing the most often. So the squat is just, it's one of those natural motions that have always been there for humans. The, the guide wires and the tension that those squatting muscles, and they're not just squatting muscles, they're also, it's not just squatting, it's the running, it's the walking, it's the carrying, it's the holding, it's all of them. I don't think, you can't pull out any one single movement and really put it in a hierarchy over anything else. Maybe maybe in terms of distribution, you can. Like, as far as like, if we were to look at a human, um, a human in a natural context, um, you would find that the total steps walked is going to be greater than the total steps sprinted. You would find that the minutes spent squatting are going to be less than the minutes spent walking. So then you do have a hierarchical structure there where you could say that as far as movement distribution and tension on these guide wires, that walking is a pretty big bulk of like the adaptations from walking would be a big part of these natural tension wires. But squatting is a big one. I mean, it's carrying your body weight. Humans, grown up humans are heavy. You're heavy creatures. And so much of the exercise right now is practicing carrying your body from point A to point B, whether it's up or down or right or left in doing it in a way where you're stable, where nothing else is falling or collapsing because you've chosen to move your body from one point to another. So we're looking for stable movement and the squat is one of those movements where the resting tension from a squat that you get from doing it well stabilizes your knees, it stabilizes your hip joints, stabilizes your sacrum, which affects your pelvic floor. Um, It stabilizes your torso, the, the base of your core, all these things. The guide wires, the tension on the guide wires that come about from having a squat as part of your movement vernacular is crucial for a lot of other physiological systems. And when it's missing, then you can expect kind of a collapse of those systems, systems that are dependent on movement. Why would an orca ever be swimming in a lazy circle for 40 years? I mean, it's a completely unnatural mismatched phenomenon. And and likewise, why would we ever be sitting in a chair for almost every minute of our life? Mm-hmm. But yet here we are. Here we are in a tank in this completely surreal, um, unnatural movement state. And then we're recognizing in small, slow, painfully slow steps of going, hey, you need tension on that wire. Great. And it's not really correlated back to a wild equivalent it's like, you know, it's like, okay, orcas, get out your foam rollers. We're going to roll out that side of the floppy fin, you know? And it's right. like, we're not really looking at the tank. <laughs> we're not really looking at the habits that fold it. We're like focused on the correctives. And I think that's a step. It's appropriate step. It's a step that I've worked in for a long time, two decades almost. But at some point, you're going to have to look at the tank because you're going to spend the rest of your life doing corrective exercises and it's so much easier. You don't have to. Yeah. You don't have to. You you can change elements of your tank. And you don't have to get out of your tank. You have to get out of your tank sometimes. You have to go outside and move sometimes. 
but I'm not asking anyone to smash their tank. I'm just right. asking you to, um, you have some sovereignty in reshaping your tank. You know, you, or don't even change your tank. Just get off the couch and sit on the floor. I mean, like, it's really um, simple how you can start to change the shape of your body, but you're going to have to change. Like, that's the, that's the challenging point. Mm. You, have you have you heard uh, Amar Bharati? He's a guy who's held his hand up for Shiva for forty years, and in India is a sadhu guy, and his no. arm got no. stuck. I gotta send you a picture; it's amazing. Sure. So he put his arm up in it like this for forty years, and then his arm literally like it's like this calcified, dead, sure. like statue coming out of his body. Mm-hmm. And I see that I'm like, wow, that's crazy, you know. And but then I think this a similar thing at like a lesser level is happening in in modernity through being hunched over in positions all day long and not actually getting that full opening up all the different guy wires from the tent like you're describing why lesser why do you think it's lesser because it's not an arm i think so it's obvious thing. It's, less obvious you, it's, it's less not like obvious. <laughs> when you see an arm overhead when you see an arm overhead what calls your attention is the length of the arm like it takes a three foot long lever for you to think it's important but meanwhile you can go i mean how many people listening to this podcast have had frozen shoulder right you have it. We have, oh, how many people are like, oh, I have a calcified area in my, my, ver- my vertebral disc is calcified. All day long, people are using these words, but the guy with his arm over his head is the, is the meme. And you're like, that crazy guy reaches his arm over his head the whole time. And meanwhile, like, as you're saying it from your desk with your hips flexed, it's like, you have had your hips in the flexed position almost every minute of your entire life. It is, that is what's happening. But because it's ubiquitous, it doesn't stand out. It's the guy with his right. hand over his head that stands out, but we're all in the same boat together, and so we're just scrolling on our phones laughing at the guy. But it's like it's the same. Like it's it's just the same thing. We just we call it a different we just call it something different because I think We call it normal. We call it normal, but I also think the guy with his arm over his head uh it seems it just seems so extreme like there's nothing where 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 you know it's like oh your arm's frozen over your head it's gonna take you a long time to work that to get down where with your back it's just a problem that you have i just have this i just have it i just have it and there's not a correlation to the behavior that got you there in the first place it's just what you have it's never what's been created you know like there's just a there's just um that's that's the disconnect piece that I'm sure everyone who's a mover and I you know and I have it in myself all the time where I'm like you catch yourself saying that this was just this outcome and then you're like oh okay well if I think back I'm pretty sure I know the 12 or 15 things I do every day that can you know helped me get to this place yeah if you're in a pool of 350 million orcas that are all swimming around going left and they all have that then you're like oh cool like you would feel almost out of place if your fin was erect. Yeah. <laughs> like, What's wrong with me? Right. And so, well, exactly right, which is why I think that's a big, there's a, there's a movement called the health deviant, right? So, so there's, a, there's a cultural pressure for sure. Um, I think that the number of eye rolls about people who t- are trying to be well right now, like it's a thing of just being like, that it's a shallow pursuit or it's a wrong pursuit or it's a misguided pursuit. But in movie or DNA too, I'm like, imagine all, imagine all the orcas now have a folded fin. Imagine that the orcas 
that research other orcas also have folded fins. Okay. How you would inform your questions, your research questions, you, you, your assumptions would be so strong. And so that's another interest of mine, just um, research-wise, is how do, you know, everyone researching or, you know, thinking about scientific or academic things are always concerned with assumptions. When you started with the assumption that the fold folded fin is a natural phenomenon or the assumption that the tank is where orcas are, um, it really informs, that's why it's so painstakingly slow because it informs the questions that you ask and it's it's it takes a long time to work yourself out of um the box you know because the orcas that you have to look at and observe are all in the tank you're in the tank the research is in the tank and so it's just um it's gonna take a while but it's going that way it's good yeah adult diaper industry is soon to exceed that of baby baby diaper industry from what i've is that, is that i've read it's from what i've read yeah, same thing. From, like, What's that? From well, I'd be interested because what I what I have seen is a movement for children in diapers longer, and so oh, maybe I, I just wonder how they're measuring. <laughs> well, I just wonder how they. I wonder how I'm wondering how they are measuring it because I've seen that some of the recommendations that I've read are to keep you know if you I, I work i've worked a lot in pelvic floor you might have yeah. as well but for um you know when children are first learning bladder control they're often it depends on where you live like if i live in a rural place you know kids just run around with no pants and they're free to go to the bathroom as their body signals but in a um urban environment that's not the case you know you're limited by your next available bathroom and so they have noticing that children having to hold it because you know you're out with your parents you're in a space and you have to be able to hold it and add tension until the next available you're driving in a car if anyone's been on a road trip with their family it's like i have to pee it's like okay you have to wait to the next stop and like you're miserable like you're going through this whole tense thing so some of the recommendations that i just read it's been a couple of years and it was from i think just one pediatrician i don't know if there's any official guidelines of his calling was for keeping children in diapers like up to age three or four so that they wouldn't be stressed by the bath the bathroom location <laughs> issue so now we've got kids in diapers for multiple years you know it's going three and four and then as we have a sedentary population and kids that aren't moving very much and you know part of that tension you're asking like what's the benefit of squatting and and really just mobility and strength jumping leaping all those things is it keeps the hips and the glutes and all that tension on the pelvic floor very robust and so you become very strong and aware in that area so when we have a culture that doesn't have it you know that can be influencing as well as overall stress just the bathrooming process overall so yeah like there's just a need for um incontinence support or i mean it's not incontinence in children it's just it's a bathroom location problem it's a societal it's an it's an architecture problem it's a city design problem the fact that there's not enough bathrooms for the people who live and move in that space they're not distributed well enough that a human especially human forming bladder control relationship with 
themselves and and listening to their body all these things that we're trying to tell people like listen to your body and here's this little kid i have to pee it's like hold it listen to your body but you can't let go right now because it doesn't work for the architecture so you're going to have to hold it so then we have another device come in like a diaper so that they don't have to go through this hold it but yet there's going to be there's a you know the unknown consequences of what it's like to delay body control in that way over a period of time to delay you know to delay it as something you know a few years just keeps getting longer and longer so it's just I'm, I'm just interested in all of that movement in society architecture um, technologies consumption that's related to a lack of movement a lack of natural movement they're definitely all entwined for me yeah you're probably going to hate the wording of this question but um is there any like nutritional movement supplements you would recommend or movements that you'd recommend to uh, regain pelvic integrity, pelvic floor integrity? You mean I hate it because it's a corrective perspective? Yeah, as opposed to just like a holistic, like just integrate. No, I I mean, so I I, I don't hate that. I mean, I teach nutritious movement. I teach corrective exercises. I don't hate that at all. I just feel that. Just the supplement part. That's the part that I think you'd be a little bit resistant around. No, I, but I teach supplements. I, okay, I no, teach no that. <laughs> I, don't hate it. I don't hate it. I, okay. I think that what I'm, what I'm saying is it is appropriate for a health practitioner to give both. Yeah. To, you know, to say, here's the context, here's the supplement. And I think it's also going to be pretty soon time for movement teachers to to one, be moving beyond supplements themselves, but okay. be able to offer transitional programs to go from an exerciser to one who lives a movement-rich life. Yeah. So for movement practitioners, it's like it really opens up the body of work that you can do, like literally and metaphorically, because you're going to find that you can take the education that you have on exercises and it parlays to all the non-exercise movement as well. The, the mechanism isn't any different. Yeah. It's just... The environment is different. The mindset's a little bit different. But um, sure, I mean, it's hips. And so I have a DVD for a healthy pelvis, and they are all just supplements for the healthy pelvis. And they are internal and external rotation of the hips, the pelvic list, um, squatting. Although I, I recommend I recommend a more stepwise um, approach to squatting than many people do it because I think that you can squat in a way that won't necessarily get you the guide wire tensions that you need for um, pelvic health. Now, every squat is beneficial in certain guide wire tensions. So I really recommend, again, for Move Your DNA, I call it rainbow loads, the idea that you could probably come up with 10 different squat shapes and you would want to be proficient in all of them. You would want to make sure that you can do it at a variety of foot position, knee position, hip position, loaded, unloaded, etc. Um, so yeah, just those are our... Um, big ones cat you know calf and hamstring mobility too and it has to do with the part of your pelvis your glutes specifically the lateral hip that pull on the sacrum when you walk you know every step is really a glute a small glute contraction should be can be um and it's also you want you know your organs are constantly accelerating on your pelvic floor i do it i did a demonstration i do it in a live class and i did it once you know who jill miller is yoga tune-up she's like a dear friend i was just with her a week ago Okay, so yeah. I did one um, in her course 
on pregnancy. And so I had a chair and I had a plastic bag sitting on the chair. And I was, this, this was about pregnancy, but it's also just about anyone with a pelvic floor. You have organs with a particular weight and, and your pelvic floor is beneath that. And your weight, your weight is not, your weight is not static. So like if you got on a scale, you would be your weight. Let's say you were a hundred pounds. When you're walking, you're like 1.5 your weight, mm. right? So you're like 150 pounds. And when you're running, you're, it's walking is like 1.5 to 1.75. So not quite double, but more than just when you're standing. And when you're running, you're two to three times your weight. Meaning when you're landing, you're accelerating heavier than you actually are. So like if you pick up a bucket, it's a particular way, but if you start swinging it in a circle, it gets heavier. It's it's accelerating away from you. So when you're moving, your abdominal content is is loading your pelvic floor. And so your pelvic floor is contracting because as you are taking a step, your, your um, abdominal contents are you're are accelerating downward and then that's that's like a load on your pelvic floor and it has to respond by tending so tensing so you get these contractions these kegel contractions i won't call it a kegel but it's the same it's in the same direction as a kegel exercise just for moving around but we're just sitting in a chair we just sit in a chair and we're just sitting there there's no natural tension response from our pelvic floor because you haven't moved anywhere you're just sitting there. There's no change in weight of your organs on your pelvic floor. And then so you, then you just sit there and practice tensing and relaxing this corrective because you're not moving around. And so so you want to be moving around quite a lot because that's and, and distributed throughout the day so that your pelvic floor has a chance to work. It's a walking muscle. It's something that is changing its shape its emg just through the act of walking and then if you had jumping right that's going to change the emg even more like you're going to see a different electrical reading output from from moving around and then um that when you're taking a step that hip extension of a step that list carrying your weight on the single leg which is our pelvic exercise would be the supplement to learn how to do that well and then stand that on that leg rowing it behind you like a or that's a lateral hip glute contraction at the same time as your pelvic load is accelerated. So you've got this beautiful dynamic load to your pelvic floor, but offsetter at the same time. So you need your ranges of motions, lengths of muscle, ranges like the range of motion, like the muscle go hand in hand. Like you need to be able to extend your hip in order to get what offsets the pelvic floor load. But if you don't have any hip extension because you're so adapted to sitting in a chair, so this is your version of your arm over your head. You're like, that guy just stood with his arm in his hand. Like, you've had your knees in front of your hips for 40 years. Like, so you don't have hip extension any longer, which means when you're walking, you're loading your pelvic floor, but there's no offset. You're missing the natural offset to that phenomenon. You're missing half the guide wire. So over time, the tent collapses in the pelvis, if you will. So... So the supplements that we have are things that help you with the hip extension, right? You'll see um, um, anything in healthy pelvis DVD, diaphragm relaxation, not holding your breath, you know, starting to let your core musculature not be um, paralyzed, really, held in place is a better word by um, how you hold your uh, pressure system in your gut. So we have an abdominal release, um, different lunge series, like all those things that I think would be pretty common. 
But I just like to say that the reason we're doing those things is so once you're moving more, you're able to use your natural mechanisms that will get you the training volume that you need. These problems that we're dealing with, they require quite a bit of volume. If movement is medicine, the volume of medicine needs to be much higher than what we're currently taking. And so um, you can increase your volume by pairing your correctives or exercise with non-exercise time. Mm. That's movement, not non-exercise moving time. Awesome. Thank you so much. You're like one of my uh, favorite thinkers, people in this whole space. So I really appreciate everything you're doing. How do people learn more about you? What's like the best place to point people? Uh, Nutritiousmovement.com. You can get to anything there. Yeah, you can. uh, My Instagram, I think is pretty popular. But if you go to nutritiousmovement.com, there's two categories. Build my exercise program, which is the correctives or build my movement rich life, which are the non-corrective movement guides. So you can kind of have one foot in each one. I have a lot of people who've come to movement because of the lifestyle aspect. They hate exercise. They've always hated exercise. They're probably not listening to this podcast. Um, But, you know, they're like people who live on farm. They're already moving quite a bit. They had never thought about form before. Mm -hmm. And then you've got the other group, maybe like people who are into alignment, more like who are probably drawn to the work we do naturally, they're really obsessed with form, but they're not thinking about their non-exercise form or movement time. And so I like to do the intersection of those two groups. It's like there's everyone just needs to, to grow together. That the, uh, the form for exercise, you can apply all those principles and theory to a much wider volume of movement that's not exercise. And the people who are doing a ton of movement or labor could be making their body so much better by adding the element of form. How you do something matters. How you do something is what actually ultimately shapes you. So I really like to um, work at the intersection of those two ideas. Yeah, there's a quote from Ira Roth that I've said like a million times in here. She said, how you walk through a room is how you walk through your life. It's kind of interesting start to integrate this that like, you can see a lot through the way that someone is totally. in their body you know all right yeah thank you so much katie bowen i really appreciate it thank you it's, it's so so awesome um i will uh yeah i'll let you know when all this stuff goes up and um yeah thanks so much for for doing it appreciate it right on right on talk to you later all right thank you so much for tuning in that conversation i hope you enjoyed it as much as i did uh we got a couple things to help support that body of yours one of which is the align band that people have been really loving which i'm super grateful for um it is a heavy duty resistance band comes along with a door anchor traveling case and then a online video guide on how to use that thing it's my absolute go-to travel tool i've got it hanging literally from my door right beside me now um use it regularly use it with clients uh it can be found at alignpodcast.com slash gear uh, on amazon and you can also find it line band on instagram um also we finally did it we created the align method online program which focuses on unwinding the patterns of staring into technology essentially so forward head posture rolled forward shoulders rolled forward spine kind of like just that hunchy posture thing that um, modern world is is stricken by uh, gets into how to align your physical body. So self-care joint by joint from ankle to knee to hip to spine to head to neck, etc. 
really good stuff. Also gets into lifestyle, um, gets into morning routines, nighttime routines, how to effectively handstand, how to move on the ground. Um, people have been loving that. Thank you all for grabbing it, the ones that have. And if people have any questions about that, you can reach out at Align Podcast on Instagram. I'm happy to support. All right. Thank you, guys. Enjoy your day. Thanks for joining you. Thanks for telling your friends. Thanks for reviews on iTunes. That's it.